0: Welcome to Talk. The Talkers around the table today discuss the journey of healing. We'll think about the constantly shifting phenomena of health, healing and well-being and try to understand the difference between healing and cure. We'll dip into areas such as medicine, yoga, medical history, critical theory and philosophy and more. We'll try to understand what led to the birth of the concept of the doctor and the clinic. Do we really need a doctor and when? Is health on balance a personal challenge or a technical issue? and what is the long-term future of health systems in a general way. We are pleased and privileged to have three recent talkers around the table today. Dr. R.D. Lele, who's a physician practicing medicine for the last 65 years, and he's also studied Ayurveda and homeopathy and published two books. He's from Bombay. Professor Suzy Tharu, who is a student of cultural theory and is interested primarily in inequality. She is from Iflu in Hyderabad. And Zubin Zartosti Manesh, who is a student of Yogacharya, BKS Iyengar and he runs his own Iyengar Yoga Centre in Bombay. Susie, maybe we set the ball rolling with you um, to understand what you mean by health and when one looks at it in a somewhat historical kind of way. Uh, We've all lived on the planet for a very, very long time now. How has that concept changed and morphed and metamorphosed over time? And how would you distinguish healing from cure the way we think of it together? And obviously, there are lots of questions buried in there and we'll unravel them as we go. So what is healing? What is health?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I'd like to stress that idea that we need to think about this historically, that uh, these words don't necessarily have fixed meanings mm-hmm. and that uh, they there are also different frameworks in which you can think about both healing and cure. And we may actually come up with completely different definitions uh, as we go, go along. But The way I uh, tend to think about these two words, which I think are for my own thinking about health, very, very important, is that I would consider, uh, in an epistemological manner, uh, healing to be concerned with a personal experience. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, It could be psychological, physiological, as well as spiritual, that there's a, a sense of wholeness about healing, and it is phenomenological it's experienced. something that's experienced experienced mm-hmm. uh, whereas cure uh comes from another framework mm-hmm. that uh you could be germ-free or the or uh you you could have uh be seen as having recovered certain functions or you could be seen there would be some external paradigm mm-hmm. that according to which uh an illness or a or a condition of some kind would be judged and a, the the very word cure suggests a medical paradigm mm-hmm. uh, as against uh, any other kind of paradigm mm-hmm. so if we take one as experiential and the other as scientific then i think there are some very important historical observations that we can make about this mm-hmm. And uh, my own work into the history of medicine, and I want to stress that I'm looking at the history of medicine not necessarily at the map of how medicine is practiced today. Sure. Uh, That if we look at history of medicine, we see that around the 18th century in in Europe, and the 18th century Europe is very important for us as well because that's the time European thinking comes into India and becomes quite dominant here as well. Right. Uh, That's the moment in which... uh, Various sort of dispersed medical practitioners. They could be people we now call witches, or shamans, or mystics, or uh, uh, nature uh, uh, nature pra- na- nature cure pra- practitioners. And the
0: apothecaries and people. Apothecary, yeah, and
1: they're they're completely dispersed, and they're not necessarily organized into any one single system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's much like what would have been happening here as well, that we would have our snake catchers who have used snake venom to do something. There would be the herbalists, then there would be the, the very elite uh, herbal medicine practitioners who are the Ayurveda practitioners. They were... A royal uh, sure. form of, of, of medicine. Then there were people doing yoga and were doing it in a very different context from which people do yoga now, and so on. So the, the, the idea there's a dispersed form, and that um, individuals who seek um, uh, medical advice or medical help would then go to a person who would respond to them. So Susie,
0: what exactly is this historical turn in the 18th century that you're talking about? Well,
1: there are two or three dimensions to it. One very definitely is the time when the state, the government becomes interested in things like birth rate, death rate, the strength of the population, the health of the population. And health becomes a A government responsibility as it were and concern and Mm -hmm. it's also related to uh, the productivity of an industrial workforce so Mm -hmm. that's that's a moment a very important turn in world history that we get the industrial revolution and things that and the rise of the modern state Mm -hmm. the state earlier on the a a kingly state would be there would be a ruler over a territory Mm -hmm. but now we're getting the idea in the 18th century that you rule over a people yeah uh, that it's not just land but it's there, not
0: just territorial it's yeah There mm. there
1: is uh, a population
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the term population itself begins to be used in a new kind of way mm-hmm. and the he- health of populations uh, become critical to the state so there's a shift from the individual practitioner who's relating to the individual who is sick and in very varied and Non standardized context, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of different kinds of practices and hundreds of different kinds of relationships, and then you begin to get this relationship standardized. So, a standardized medical practice, we go through medical training, you're certified at the end of it, and uh, you come out as an educated physician or a surgeon or a whatever else, a nurse. How did
0: the clinic come to be? It's such a fascinating.
1: Well, that emerges in many ways, hmm. of course, along with the teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. That, uh, now, in a clinic, uh, each patient is uh, set up in a way that he or she is equal to the other one. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a series of beds in our a- when Foucault uses the word clinic, he's really talking about the hospital, not just the right. doctor's clinic as such. It's in right. the French sense. Yeah. Mm. It's mm. the French sense, yes. Right. right. So you get a standardized relationship with a standardized figure who's the patient, and there are standardized ways of relating to this. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very important for the emergence of scientific medicine, or what we call scientific medicine today. You can't have a scientific medicine unless you can extrapolate from one situation to another, from one body to another, and so
0: on. Interesting, interesting. Maybe we'll get back to that, Susie, as we go along and unravel that. Dr. Lele, how do you think of it? And do you think of it historically at all? Um, how are we, where are we today? And how different was it 500 Actually, years ago?
2: Historically, mm-hmm. India has a great tradition of 10,000 years mm-hmm. through Ayurveda. Right. Experiential wisdom. And what does Ayurveda say? The purpose of Ayurveda Mm-hmm. is threefold mm-hmm. promotion of positive health prevention of disease roga pratibandha and thirdly curative
0: so it's the third level yes third that's, one it's very interesting and where
2: cure sometimes relief often and comfort always <laughs> and what is unique is an ethical dimension he says swasthavrutta for physical health. And sadvrutta. Moral health. very right. so very important. Sadvrutta, moral health. What do you mean by moral health? Actually, again, World Health Organization has defined health as a state of complete physical, mental, social and spiritual
0: well-being. Now, spiritual
2: hmm. is something which is a new concept. And frankly, it is beyond science. <laughs> science cannot tackle spirit. But it is important That spiritual medicine, and that is where yoga and other systems. But the holistic approach is a state of complete physical, mental, social, and spiritual. Right. And what is important is nature has given us a wonderful self-maintaining and self-repairing mechanism. Mm -hmm. So Voltaire has once said, the main function of the doctor is to. Humor the patient while (laughs) nature is curing the disease. I think there's a lot of truth in this statement. It's
0: nice of you to say that being a doctor. Have have you humored patients in the past?
2: Actually, as I told you, we doctors are in a very fortunate position. Mm -hmm. Because if I have got a good doctor-patient relationship, Mm -hmm. patients' trust in me and my trust in the treatment ensures 80% of the treatment. Because nature is doing all the time. The real test comes in those 20%. And you really mean that? Yes, yes. You mean that? Actually, there is a good discussion of placebo effect. Of course. They do control trials. What is placebo effect? Mm -hmm. Once you are told that this medicine is going to help you, Nature has its own healers. What exactly happens there? Encephalins, endorphins and opioids Mm -hmm. and cannabinoid receptors. Mm -hmm. Our brain has these chemicals. Mm -hmm. So when you are told that you are going to be alright, I make my own encephalins, endorphins and cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. And that is my healer. Even pain is relieved. By hypnotherapy, I can tell you, you will not have pain. But the cannabinoids do not allow that pain to come in. So we are tremendously interested of how nature has its own healing mechanism. Now we are able to understand that and placebo effect is a credit that by talking to the patient for one hour, establishing a relationship with him, you establish a good doctor-patient relationship and that doctor-patient relationship ensures that 80% of illness will get by its own. So we are in a lucky profession that 80% of success is guaranteed.
0: <laughs> but tell me, you know, in the, if we think of it in the context of standardization, and Susie touched upon that concept a little bit, uh, how many doctor-patient relationships can you have and how clearly the process of modern
2: medicine, at least they way think about it. Charak has said 5,000 years back, mm-hmm. a doctor should consider his patients as if they are his own children right? and prevent them from all harm. I cannot think of him more wide example mm. that a doctor should treat all his patients as if they are own children mm. and prevent them from harm. Hippocrates said the same thing. Primum non nausier.
0: Right.
2: Whatever good you may or may not do to the patient, do no at least do no harm. So as a physician of modern medicine, I must frankly say mm-hmm. that our ability to do good to the patients is tremendous. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, our ability to do harm to the patient is also tremendous. So the main aim of modern medicine is how to make effective therapy safer. Later on, I will elaborate how this is possible. But we must understand. For instance, homeopathy has a track record of 100% safety. I cannot say the same thing about modern medicine. So I understand that I am able to do harm, and therefore my main ethical, moral, and legal responsibility is how to prevent the harm. And now there are methods whereby we practice personalized medicine. Mm-hmm. Ayurveda and homeopathy always practice personalized medicine but in the 21st century modern medicine can now do personalized medicine to give an example on one drop of your blood I can have your entire genome you are susceptible to disease you are susceptible to drugs and by knowing this I can design a treatment and give you only that treatment which is suitable to you That's so 21st century through an ephemetric chip which on one drop of blood can tell entirely of your genome, predicting whether you can get diabetes, you can get cancer. And
0: Dr. Lele, is this the future or something that's already possible?
2: Affymetrix chip is already available Mm -hmm. for $20,000. My effort is to make it affordable so that for 5,000 rupees. The problem is, a child of 10 years, if I take a drop of blood and predict that at the age of 50 is going to be diabetes, hypertension and other things, his prevention starts now. Right. Instead of two hours in front of the TV, he should spend two hours on the playing field. Instead of taking McDonald's food, he takes fruits and vegetables. So the scope of prevention begins at the age of 10, when I can predict with this drop of blood, the whole profile. It's a very exciting day ahead. And
0: have. equally, I would hope there would be kids who you'd allow them to have McDonald's burgers, because they are <laughs> hopefully genetically... No, I will tell
2: McDonald's how to change their uh, recipe to bring <laughs> fruits and vegetables. <laughs>
0: That's okay. So Zubin, maybe we'll come back to that. There's some very interesting concepts there. What is health to you, Zubin? Yeah, I want to actually just, uh, you know, take on
3: a remark on very interesting things Susie mentioned about this, uh, you know, the difference between uh, healing healing and cure. cure. Mm -hmm. So she mentioned that, you know, healing is this more profound experience, Mm -hmm. uh, which also includes the spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, cure is this very, you know, I can also kind of frame it in this way that subjective and objective. Right. Okay. So this is the healing is more subjective is also covers the spiritual aspect. Other dimensions like Dr. Le- Lele mentioned right. in us, within us, not just the physical, but mm-hmm. also the physical, mental, moral, mm-hmm. spiritual. Mm-hmm. So all these other aspects, Right. Uh, kind of, I think healing, you know, covers healing mm-hmm. spans this whole kind of, you know, thing with us within us mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. and cure is obvi- obviously this objective paradigm right. within us right. so you know this subjective objective dichotomy is very interesting because it kind of you know runs throughout the whole uh thing of in any and subject Zubin,
0: when you think of yoga yoga is obviously not just asanas right it's it's something broader than that how, yes, do, so, how do you conceptualize that
3: the, you know, yoga obviously comes from this word yuj, meaning to unite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in this manner, in this context that, you know, today people think that, you know, asana is merely exercise. Well, right. you know, the asana itself should lead you towards samadhi. Mm-hmm. The very fact in the Patanjali yoga sutras, from mm-hmm. which the whole philosophy of yoga comes down to us, because he was the first uh, codifier. Mm-hmm. Sage Patanjali was the first codifier of this subject of yoga. Right. So he kind of you know lays down this yoga sutras in which it is mentioned about this Ashtanga Yoga mm-hmm. Sadhana, that mm-hmm. is the 8th fold path of yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting from Yama, Niyama, mm-hmm. Asana, Pranayama, Pratyara, Dharna, Dhyana, and Samadhi. Mm-hmm. So it is very clear that you know the all this should lead you towards Samadhi and not in front of the mirror, for example, you know, person who exercises, you know, he's, you know, prone to, you know, look at himself in the mirror more, you know, just to see how his muscles look or how he looks or how he feels. And that's not the aim of, you know, yoga practice. It should lead you towards absorption. Right, right. So that kind of thing. Are these these
0: eight steps one after another?
3: No, they are integrated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we exist as a whole. Right. So, in the similar manner, you know, the, this whole thing is a unified thing, a practice. Like mm. now, when you're kind of talking, you're talking from your tongue. Right. Now, but where do the thoughts come from? Correct. So, it's a unified way of expressing yourself. Right. Correct. You express through your tongue, but also, you know, your thoughts come from your mind. Right. From your whole being. Right. So, similarly here, I mean, just because I'm doing with my body mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's only from the body. I'm doing with my body. It's by the body. Mm-hmm. But it's not from the body alone. It's from my whole self, which what, contains. What
0: is this whole self? It's so difficult to Which get contains once.
3: everything. The body contains the mind, the breath, the senses, the consciousness. So the body is the container of all these things within us. Mm-hmm. So when I'm expressing myself, I'm like I said, I may do with my body, but the body contains so many things. So the, uh, you can say the container, like this bottle, holds the water. Right. So similarly the body contains, holds all these things within me. Mm-hmm. So I'm expressing myself w- mm-hmm. with my body. So that is why the health, when we start off, we start with the asanas for the simple reason that, you know, this is the container of the self. So through this, through this body, I'm trying to see how I can penetrate this consciousness within myself. Because that's the only way. Like it's, surgery. It's very interesting. Cut mm. open your body. Yeah. <laughs> so without cutting open the body, how to go inside?
0: And I think the other word that you mentioned very briefly was breath. And mm-hmm. what's the significance of breath? What exactly is breath? And in, in what manner does it so, in some way unify the body and the mind? Mm-hmm. Right.
3: See, body and mind have a history. The body uh, is... They're situated kind of in time. In time or, you know, the body and mind have a genetic past or even, you know, the sex or gender or you can trace to the body and mind. But what about the breath? hmm you can see our breath is, you know, every moment it comes in and goes out. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it is, it is not, though the breath is ours, we say, it is not from us. Right. It comes from outside us. So it's a universal entity, which is within us. Everything else is ours, but we can't say the breath is mine. <laughs> the breath comes from outside, which, you know, helps us, you know, uh, use our physiology. But then it goes out again and comes in again. So it's every moment, it's a fresh Entity, which is coming within us and going out. So in that sense, it's a universal entity within us. So though people may say that, you know, they don't believe in, you know, universalizing the whole self, but yet breath, prana, what we say in our terminology, prana is not merely breath. Prana is energized breath.
1: Energized breath. Like
3: Mm -hmm. when you say I'm doing, you know, now pranayama is not just breathing. We Mm -hmm. are breathing every moment of our life. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make you an expert on pranayama. Yeah. Like you're taking 21,600 breaths a day. But still, that doesn't mean that you're a genius in. Now, just imagine if you were to say that I'm doing an, a, an act for 21,000 times a day. You know, what kind of mastery you would have. But yet with the breath, you cannot say that.
0: What do you mean by energized breath? What exactly do you do in pranayama?
3: So that's what. So how you churn. Because according to yoga philosophy, it is not just one breath. Mm-hmm. We have this concept of panchapranas. Mm-hmm. That is f- the locations of breath within the body, and that is how the prana is defined. So, for example, we have the uh, five locations in the body mm-hmm. which have been, you know, uh, denoted mm-hmm. in uh, yogic texts. So, it is said that the pelvic region mm-hmm. is the location of apana breath. Mm-hmm. The the abdominal region is the location of samana breath. Then the thoracic region is the location of prana breath. Mm -hmm. And the throat and above is the udana Mm -hmm. region. What are these? And the limbs comes under vyana. Mm -hmm. So this concept of pancha pranas, you know, helps you to understand that it's the different locations of breath. So when you're doing asanas, it is not just different postures where you, you know, standing on the head. Uh, different permutations, combinations, uh, back bends, forward bends—you're accessing these different locations for the breath to move within you. And ultimately, all these, you know, subjects—the ancient subjects—you know—had this concept of moving the uh, energy within the body. Mm-hmm. They called it the river of energy. Mm-hmm. Now, for example, in Chinese, uh, uh, this uh, culture, Chinese mm-hmm. uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. they talk about qi, the energy. And that's why they have this concept of, you know, acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where they situate the needles in the various energy points in the body to make the chi move. They say the energy move in the body. And Zubin,
0: in what sense do you use the word energy? Energy is this, you know,
3: force. Like, for example, you know, the fan. Of course, Uh, one understands what energy is. Yeah, Mm. it moves in the body. Mm -hmm. Supposing now we are in this room. You know, supposing there's no fan, there's no air conditioning. What is the air? But when you have a fan, when you have the movement of air, what happens? So similarly within the body, there is this life force which is flowing within you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, like I said, not just the breath. But through the breath, you know, there's this other force within you. So this is the force within you which you can fan you know, within yourself. You can augment within yourself. interesting. More or less.
0: Right. I think maybe we come to you, Dr. Lily. Exactly what is the physiological process of healing? I mean, obviously it depends on the condition one kind of starts with. uh, But what gives the body the vitality and the energy in this? uh, Actually,
2: nature has given us a wonderful self-maintaining and self-repairing mechanism. Mm -hmm. And we are only assisting nature. That is a very important thing. And in 21st century we are able to go at the molecular level. For instance, nitric oxide was discovered in 1986 uh-huh. and these are the molecule of the millennium. Uh-huh. Nitric oxide is produced in the brain. So the ancient Ayurveda concept of YU is nitric oxide. <laughs> there are three gases, nitric oxide, carbon monoxide and hydrogen sulfide which have a two-way traffic in the brain. And this is how we understand today the concept of energy at the molecular level. So, also sodium, potassium, calcium current channels.
0: Correct, sodium so it channels. It is possible.
2: Are but again, I must say, spirit is beyond our methodology. We can see mind. Brain is the organ of the mind. With modern technology of nuclear medicine, PET, MRI, I can see mental processes, cognitive processes, but I cannot tackle spirit. Therefore, our limitation is we know brain of the organ of the mind. We can understand how mental process is. and What is important is, stress is a common factor. Mm-hmm. The WHO has said, the 80% problems are stress-related. So how to relieve the stress is very important. And every ancient prescription, laughter is the best medicine. Of course. Laughter. <laughs> so being in your good company and being present is also... A, so nature has a tremendous capacity. And as I told you, our contribution comes in those 20%. Where nature has its limits. So in this For instance, if the blood is... Blood vessel is clot. You are bleeding. I must replace the blood. The bone is fractured. I am, I am facilitating nature cure. Ultimately, really?
3: with laughter, when a patient of typhoid
2: yeah. gets well, it is nature who is curing him. But I am facilitating. Doctor So I am a facilitator of nature's cure.
0: Dr. Lele, what does laughter do? One understands that it is the best medicine. What does it do? I will
2: tell you an example. Hmm. If you are tense... Your blood vessels are constricted. Okay. With the flow-mediated thing. So when you laugh, the flow to the forearm increases. So it's a static. So laughter increases blood flow through nitric oxide. Okay. So laughter is the best medicine and doesn't cost anything. Yeah, so hopefully. The, well, great <laughs> Osler said, every physician should have at least one or two jokes with which he should humor the patient. So the patient should go back more happy after seeing the doctor. So laughter <laughs> and reassurance. The reassurance is the most important thing. And a good doctor-patient relationship is based on good mentions. But I'd also like to
3: uh, add to this that, you know, uh, laughter. Like now I know that Dr. Lele means the laughter, you know, the expression which comes on the face.
0: Yeah, a smile.
3: But then every part of your body has also an expression. Mm -hmm. So in asana, for example, you know, I have to express through every part of my body. Now, we spoke about stress. Mm -hmm. Now, supposing I'm sitting for a long time in one position. Mm -hmm. Okay, now my back, my buttocks are, you know, my legs are the only part which is, you know, taking the load. Mm -hmm. So what we have is that's why this whole, you know, realm of asanas in which you change the foundation. Mm -hmm. So when you, you know, express yourself through different foundations, the whole expression of the body changes so for example you know somebody is depressed so you know the sternum is collapsed you'll never meet a uh, you know person who's happy uh, you know who's depressed and upright a, you know chest open and upright you know mm. upright mm. he'll always be collapsed he'll be sunk so the expression of the body is so you, you can know make the a depressed. Laugh so that is how the body and mind is linked so, when, when you say, you know, laughter, every part of your being should express that, you know, not just, you know, the face. So, you know, we have something to open the sternum, mm-hmm. you know, the backbends and things like that. You know, like I mentioned, you know, how the body and mind and breath are related. I think that is where, you know, the whole, uh, this lies, you know, the your future lies of how to integrate these three dimensions
0: within us.
2: That's interesting. That's interesting. Susie See, I might mm-hmm. mention one name, Dean Ornish. He used modern methods of cardiac imaging and showed how yoga and lifestyle can reverse heart disease. And in 2004, we did an experiment of 100 patients of proved coronary artery disease, one year of yoga, lifestyle, and diet. After one year of treatment, 40% the angiography coronary lesions regressed. Under 40%, they were prevented from getting worse. did get worse. But the important thing is, yoga lifestyle and the diet of fruits and vegetables, cholesterol came down from 280 to 140. So (laughs) in all my lectures, I'm telling that 90% of the people do not need statins. This is bad news for the commercial concern. Today, statin is the most selling drug. And to my mind, 90% don't need it that's very interesting. but there is no lobby for exercise and vegetables there is a lobby for drugs <laughs> therefore educating the people and very forcefully telling them i have to spend 10 minutes with the patient to give him health education but i only need 10 seconds to write a prescription so i take the easier way out
0: and write the rather than spend
2: 10 minutes with the patient to explain to him how to change lifestyle i'm taking a shortcut it is something which is just not acceptable.
0: That's interesting, Dr. Lele. I think there are some important points in there. Uh, you know, we touched upon the issue of the medical system um, and a while ago, Susie. When we think of uh, health in the integrated sense that we're talking about and we think of the medical system that exists today, clearly there's something at odds there. And uh, what do you think is happening? And is Well, there, I was hmm.
1: just thinking to myself as you were mm-hmm. talking, the two of you both making very interesting points. That uh, uh, Zubin was putting the whole question of yoga and using the body and breathing and so on in the context of what one might think of as healing, yeah, whereas the language that Professor Lele used, which is talking about the same thing as it were mm-hmm. uh, is the language with which we would understand something more abstract and uh, 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 standardized and objective to to use your terms rather than the subjectively realized thing that uh, so yeah. even the way you work with the body there would be two ways of thinking about it one more in relation to this broader subjective thing and the other one more in relation to objectively laying it out and having said that just to pick up on what you were
0: do you think the medical practice in some way undermines health
1: well uh in a sense, the, in the, the power in medical practice is with the physician. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost fact, a divinity at yes, some level. even in economics, this is a, the, what happens as far as the consumption of medicine goes mm-hmm. is unparalleled in any other sphere of consumption. In every other sphere of consumption, the consumer actually makes the decision and buys. The
0: consumer is the king, but here because that's not consumer. the
1: case. In, in medicine, the physician is the king. It the physician, you, you take what the physician prescribes. So all consumption is rooted through the physician and the decision or the care of the body is handed over to the physician.
0: So that's the distinction between expert knowledge and lay knowledge, right? Uh
1: I wouldn't put it that way, that it's expert knowledge and lay knowledge. Mm-hmm. That uh I um well let me let me take it another, through sure. another angle. Uh that I think uh even the notion of health today. Mm-hmm has got extremely commercialized
0: and externalized
1: and externalized so that we are actually consuming health Mm -hmm. that uh, there's tremendous anxiety what we eat what we don't eat how we sleep when we sleep how many hours we sleep everything is measured and and uh, we not just measured we are required in some way to buy something. Uh, or consume something, whether it's a facility or it's a, in order to remain healthy. And we are, uh, uh, we. It's a
0: part part of the modern condition. It's then. part
1: of the modern condition to be perennially anxious, anxious. about your health. Right? <laughs> you cannot be relaxed about your health. And we're always talking about health or thinking about health. And therefore, the healthcare industry has become a multi-million crore industry. Uh, hmm. It's not pharmaceuticals is huge but actually in the U.S. Uh, after armaments come pharmaceuticals and after pharmaceuticals comes the diet industry in terms of its size. Right. right? Mm. So you think about the kind of anxiety that is being created about health and I think this is related to what Dr. Lele was saying earlier as well that One of the perversions that has crept into medicine today is the immense commercialization, Mm -hmm. whether it is through pharmaceuticals and and the unethical. He, he in fact, used the term unethical. The unethical uh, uh, practice of medicine that has come to because of the connections of medicine and business.
0: Where you look at the body as a site of profit in some way as opposed to the person...
1: Yeah, more in, in than what the ways? body, your anxi- you create an anxiety. Mm-hmm. And you begin then to actually treat not illness, but the anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's an, You extend the scope of what you can sell. And then you're not even just treating anxiety, you're treating risk. So if someone is at risk when they're age 50 of becoming diabetic, you can start treating them today. So... He, he was critical of statins and I completely endorse that criticism because one of the things that statins have done is they have expanded the market yeah. by reducing the blood pressure uh, counts yeah. for which statins may be prescribed by wanting then wanting to cover what they think of as risk of Risks. having mm-hmm. high blood pressure. Now you're now no longer you're treating not an individual, but you are treating a population. Yeah, a risk population, yeah. and therefore your ability to gauge that market and to sell with it is that much higher. So this kind of, what has happened today, and there are reasons, if you look historically, there are reasons, the moment at which these things change. What, what are so, these
0: moments? What happened?
1: Well, I think the very big moment is a, a con- conflicting kind of moment, and that is the moment at which healthcare becomes a, a state... Subject
0: which you spoke about earlier, yeah, hmm.
1: yeah, uh, and not just in terms of the care of populations, but also providing health services to an entire population. Yeah. So once health then en- enters the national budget, yeah. the scale on which the healthcare industry works yeah. is completely different from when individuals are providing health services or other services in a in a more dispersed manner. And I think that nineteen forties. Is the moment where this huge industrial level production of health takes place? You mean globally? Globally, uh, right? Globally, right, right, uh, right. It's in the in Europe where you have national health services, mm-hmm. and uh, America follows suit, not with national but through insurance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you a whole new framework comes into play, and in all this increasingly the whole question of the individual's health or what is best for the individual. Shouldn't you occasionally be eating a a hamburger or uh, shouldn't you be sleeping late one day or uh, refusing to do something else another day? Is it not possible that that all this becomes uh, more and more standardized and more and more... um, Part of a larger industrial enterprise.
0: What so, is the alternative to this industrial framework? It, I, th- I think one understands the critique. Uh, uh, it's possible to get one's arms around that.
3: Actually, I want to, uh, you know, add to this that you know I want to make this distinction between external intervention mm-hmm. and internal intervention. What kind of yoga and Ayurveda and all these sure. alternatives, which you know people refer to today, mm-hmm. but I mean, like. Dr. Lele beautifully put it that, you know, it's not actually alternatives as we see. it. It's Mm -hmm. not versus like yoga versus modern medicine, but it's a continuation of ancient wisdom, which now kind of, you know, is looping back on itself.
0: So some kind of integrative medicine, just bring it all together. Exactly. So,
3: hmm. you know, this uh, this thing deals with external intervention and Mm -hmm. yoga and all these subjects uh, talk about internal intervention. So I'm using the forces within myself, Mm-hmm. To kind of balance, you know, the things within me. So, asana, pranayama, all these things, you know, help you to do that. Uh, uh, pratyahara, the senses, which normally w- with my senses, with my eyes, with I'm feeling the outside world, the windows to the outside world. But in this process of dharana, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, you know, concentrated state, meditation, meditated state, I'm taking my senses within myself to look within. So because when my eyes close, what happens is it's another paradigm which I have to, you know, start feeling within me.
0: I think the question, Zubin, probably is, and we'll go to Dr. Lele, is doesn't yoga feel very difficult? It's a very difficult and arduous journey for a typical person on the yes. streets. Uh, it, 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 it's a fairly dramatic Of course, Patanjali, Patanjali
3: into, talks of uh, sthira asanam.
0: It's just simpler to go and okay. pop a pill when something goes wrong. It almost feels Absolutely. like that.
3: Patanjali talks of, in the second chapter, he t- says that sthira asanam, where mm-hmm. he described the asana, what mm-hmm. it should mean. Now, you know, today, typically, mm-hmm. people describe it as that asana is a sthira, a position which is stable, sukha, you know, comfortable. Right. But that is not, the comfort is not the starting point. Right. It's that end point right. that you should end <laughs> with that. You can't start with that. You mm. know, that's the progression one should have. Like in any subject, one evolves to reach, you know, and a you knowledgeable go, state. You have to go through the thicket. Yani, yes, go so the you have to, it's, it's the end point which but is described by Patanjian. I tend to feel
1: that uh, it, there isn't a continuum. You know, that you... That, that would be one way of thinking about it that there is a continuum. Mm-hmm. That I tend to feel that there isn't a continuum, and that uh, actually, what is happening today is that very alien systems like, and alien independent, brilliant systems like yoga, Ayurveda, Unani, uh, various other naturopathic systems are all being recycled in.
0: In the same framework. In,
1: in the framework in of the Western same framework, medicine. the right. framework. And in a commercial framework. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the Zarna, my yoga teacher, is constantly talking about how difficult it is to resist that, you know, the money-making uh, dimension of this, how to re- retain it it's as not, a service. Yeah, it, it's so
0: almost sold as a product.
1: It's sold as it's a, product. a product. And as it to fits into this whole healthism. Uh, healthism
0: and even experience as a product it's sold as an experiential product the east is
1: sold as a product but let's think of it only in terms of medicine there is a sense in which western medicine modern western medicine what we call scientific medicine now is the paradigm through which everything else has to recirculate itself but again
0: is it a versus b it's not just that right what's the way is there merit in them coexisting, dr lele maybe you want to say it's
1: that
2: using modern technology, we have explained the beneficial effects of meditation. My son Vikram was in Berlin, and he took six Brahma Kumaris from Frankfurt and did their brain study using FDG PET before meditation, after meditation. And he showed meditation produces global hypometabolism of the brain. Even if your eyes are open, the occipital cortex has less energy increase. So we have an objective demonstration of the beneficial effects of meditation, how it changes the physiology, and it increases GABA content of the brain.
0: I think the so. Point, ancient concepts hmm.
2: can be demonstrated objectively using the twenty-first century technology. That is a very interesting aspect.
0: Doctor Lele, I think the point that in a way we are trying to grapple with is that when we do this, in a way, technology or science becomes the arbiter. It says that, all right, now sure, no, the brain is
2: satisfying, isn't it? It is. What you practice no. for 5,000 years, it definitely so is. gratifying to know how it works. In, yes. an, in a lighter vein, two pegs of whiskey produce the same effect like meditation. But <laughs> whiskey has side effects, meditation has no side effects. So mm-hmm. I recommend meditation. Right,
1: <laughs>
0: right, right. I think the question is that if one starts thinking about the health system, the medical system, it feels and this i mean let's if we just go forward 500 years is it possible to visualize a world where everyone does yoga and takes care of themselves or it's a world in which in some way the state or whatever that entity might be the responsibility if nothing else is externalized in many many ways where you just go for that curative Phase and that for that episode, as opposed to that, and one of the reasons seems to be that it's very difficult to just keep doing yes. yoga every day. Would you say that? So it's going
3: you know, to get integrated. Mm-hmm. I feel that you know, one is going to inform the other. Yeah. For example, this thing about we are made up of elements, yeah. five elements, like in every other philosophy mentions that earth, mm. water, fire, air, sure. ether, space. Now, medicine today's medicine deals with you know has intervention in these. Four elements, earth aspect, water aspect, uh, fire. You know where you have these interventions through these three elements, or like I said, air. You know the breath. But what about the fifth element, space? Today's medicine has not thought about that. That's why we have these complete sciences. You know, uh, you know of our in what sense? In what sense do you now space now in asana? when i'm doing a posture mm-hmm. i'm also accessing the space within me right how to create space how to compress the space now that is a you know major force in healing since we are talking about healing yeah. you know it's very important to know that i have to work on five dimensions five elements within me if i have to you know augment this process otherwise it's very limiting so space which is within me Through the asana, through my practice, I have the power to... Some
0: kind of homeodynamic space almost, which increases your vitality. Absolutely. There are
3: spaces within us. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing various postures, you know, I have this ability to kind of, you know, either, like I said, expand the space, you know, where it's compressed. For example, the joints, you -hmm. know, there are spaces in the joints. Mm -hmm. There are cavities within us. So how to access that space also, us? which in, I think, so yes, such questions like this.
0: I think it's a very interesting point. In what sense, Dr. Lele, would you think of the word space? I'm
2: thinking aloud. I'm thinking that we are in biology at the same stage as physics in the neutrino. There is a neutrino research. Neutrino has a mass, but no charge. And the next 25 years will be understanding neutrino. So, matters of spirit may be interpreted in the next two or three decades in terms of neutrino. That's just my sure. guess.
0: And Dr. Lele, I mean, when he when he uses the word space and he says that that is an unexplored thing, does it resonate with you in any manner? Which is neutrino
2: is what is there. No, but what There's Indian neutrino research and the next 20 years, I am looking with great interest. As I told you, spirit is beyond us today. Sure. Hopefully, after 20 years through nutritional research, I'm hoping that we may be able to tackle something which is clearly beyond our scope today. Interesting, interesting. When
0: we, and you know, earlier in the episode, uh, Dr. Lele, you touched about uh, touched upon the concept of hydrogenic illnesses, illnesses which are caused because of medicine.
2: Hippocrates told you 2,000 years back. You
0: mentioned that. You mentioned that.
2: Is, At least do no harm. But I have said, unfortunately, our ability to do harm is very high.
0: How much of that harm is preventable and how much of it is just systemic?
2: The, it's already systemic. The Institute of Medicine in USA said in 1996 mm-hmm. that 100,000 people die in the United States alone
1: due to drug intervention. What do you think the figure is in India? No, no, what I'm saying no, is... I'm just asking you. Even if it's
2: 10,000, is not acceptable to me. Do you think it would be I so What I'm saying is, our whole effort in the next 10 years is to how to make effective therapy safer. That is the whole effort. But we're very much aware that our ability to do harm, to give an analogy, homeopathic medicine is like fly flapper. Mine is like an AK-40. <laughs> AK-40. You understand the difference? Of course, of course. With a fly flapper, you cannot kill a man. With AK-40 can Lele, I man. So think my ability to do harm is as much as my ability to do good. So it is my ethical, moral and legal responsibility in the 21st century how to make my effective therapy safer. Interesting. And I am working on that. It is possible. Interesting. Again, going by technological advances to make it affordable.
0: Interesting. I think the question is that's how much of it is a question of ethics and morals and systemic and how much of it is just medicine perfecting itself because it's a process of that body of knowledge getting smarter and you know how 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 much of it is ethics that? Ethics really? is the
2: always abiding thing. A doctor has two responsibilities. Yeah. Legal and ethical. Yeah. I make a distinction. In legal responsibility, the policeman is from outside. Yeah. In moral responsibility, policeman is within. Of course. And therefore, if I have got a moral obligation, I don't wait for somebody to catch me. So it is very important. And that is how Ayurveda said, ethical conduct, sadvrutta and swastavrutta. So we should all emphasize today's talk of corruption, moral decay, isn't it? So Ayurveda said, when people become corrupt, illness increases. So That's why I think it's important
3: for even doctors to do yoga. <laughs> so <laughs> then uh, this internal thing. You're now expanding the, your markets. <laughs> internal, <laughs>
0: <laughs> not a question of
3: market, I think, uh, because we no, are no, teachers. No, yeah, uh, uh, we are But teachers. I have
1: um, yeah, uh, something to take up on what you said, that I think that there are two ways in which we can think about this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One is to say we need to exercise our ethical minds and to control what is happening and produce a more accountable, more caring, more responsible and responsive kind of medicine. Right. The other is to say the system itself will not allow... That kind of, it in in itself, it is not ethical. In itself, it will only increase the iatrogenity. It's a
0: part of the design.
1: It's part of the design. And can we understand why it is part of the design? Can we investigate the design to understand why it is part of the design? Mm-hmm. And we can to a certain extent because we know that the logic is commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that will be what drives it. We know that cure is much more important than... than uh, uh, healing that that there is another logic with which things are measured and so on so that's one way of looking at this whole thing about is it systemic or is it something that is external is 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 the is the failure of medicine or the crisis of medicine or the corruption of medicine something that is external to a good central core or is it part of the system of the but
0: system? Susie it's very difficult to see a resolution because clearly if one were to be in a market framework Illness will remain a bigger market than health, and obviously, even when health as a market, health as a product is sold to us, it's you know it's pointing to some kind of determinate or indeterminate illness or condition in whatever way. So, what is it going to give? I mean, is is there a way to unravel this? Is there a way to imagine or visualize another system at all? Um, I think I think the critique bit is fine. That's perfect. One gets it a thousand years out. Two hundred years out, two years out, tomorrow, whatever, whenever. What's the way to resolve it? Is, is is there a way of thinking about it in a manner that if it's a part of the design, then the design has to change, in which case the question is what could well, those I alternate think designs the be? The
1: key first thing almost that one has to do is to stop believing in the design. Mm-hmm. You know, the design at the moment has our complete faith.
0: Yes, uh,
1: we you know as a science. So
0: the equivalent of the God is dead has to happen. Yes, yes, the equivalent <laughs> of God, God is movement. dead. There has mm. to be
1: that critical move, and then also the fact that so many people are dissatisfied with. this. So at a
0: very at a mass scale, you have to lose faith in doctors. Is that what's going to happen?
1: We have to to become critical. Do you have to lose faith
0: health? in doctors for it to change, Doctor Lele? Sorry, I would Andres like to make like
2: one more point. Atul Gawande in his recent book has said, all doctors are taught how to keep the people alive. They are not taught how to handle death. Just look started the biggest ICU in this country in 1973. And for the last 40 years, I'm seeing that the last 10 days of a sick patient in the ICU mean financial ruin for the family. Yeah. A bill of 10 to 15 lakhs. Patient ultimately dies.
0: Yeah.
2: So I always tell the patient that in a terminal illness, the best place is at home Surrounded by the people who love you and who die at home. And in Ayurveda, there is a concept for a terminally ill patient, Aushadham Janavi Toyam Vaidyo Narayano Hari. For the terminally ill patient, Mm -hmm. Ganges water and God. So it is so important that we prevent financial ruin of most people in the last seven days. So a humane doctor could tell the relatives, Look, he is terminally ill. There is no point in keeping him alive with a ventilator and all that. Please let him die peacefully at home. If the patient has trust in me, he will gratefully accept my advice. He should not as a callousness or indifference. That's interesting. To a good doctor-patient relationship and telling the patient that for a terminally ill patient, rather than fruitlessly making efforts, take him home and let him die. This is a, something very important. A financial application. 16 to 15 lakhs in 8 days time.
0: It's interesting Dr
2: Lelia what about
0: different ways of living i think we're going to the extreme of when one is dying but what are the illnesses or conditions when we should not turn up and see a doctor for instance what would you advise as i told you
2: mm-hmm. by the year 2025 mm-hmm. india is going to be the world capital of diabetes hypertension and heart disease mm-hmm. if we have to prevent that from happening in 2015 what we could do take care of the mother so that no baby is born with a birth weight less than 2.5 kilograms. Any baby with a birth weight less than 2.5 kilograms at the age of 50 will guaranteed get diabetes, hypertension, and heart attack. What is simpler than taking care of the mother and make sure that in the future no baby is born in India with a birth weight less than 2.5? Something is very easily achievable, isn't it? Yeah. And if you want to prevent diabetes in the 2025 exercise fruits and vegetables and stress management should start today simple message that's fine dr lele <laughs>
0: what what do you think the future is like if we just try to visualize a world thousand years out okay not tomorrow not 2025
2: i am very optimistic illness has always been there mm-hmm. and therefore the main thing is of the 20th century socialization health insurance but the snag of health insurance is all health insurance companies in India are making losses of mm-hmm. 1,500 crores. This is because they are not adding the dimension of prevention. So my simple message is add preventive care so that one rupee spent on prevention will save you 1,000 rupees on cure. Mm-hmm. So health insurance companies must take my simple message that add preventive care to the family physician. And preventive care is very simple. And we have public education there are TV programs, everybody has a mobile. On mobile, you can give them health instructions. So I am very optimistic. Doctor
0: Lele, can <laughs> we talk about the health system generally? I think that's that's a great point. Will will hospitals exist in the manner and structure in which they exist today?
2: If I have got a health insurance, then I am considering three levels: a poor man with a bronze card, a middle-class man with a silver card. Good. No patient should be denied admission to a hospital. Mm-hmm. It is my scheme. Every person deserves healthcare as a right. And with proper planning, it is possible. I am very optimistic about it. Right. What is the future, Zubin? Actually, this
3: word that Dr. used is very important, I feel. Humane. Mm-hmm. So, I think the whole thing is that we have to try to, you know, inculcate this in our whole education system. You know, humaneness. Mm-hmm. So, especially, you know, starting with the, the people who are the gatekeepers of you know, health but you know, you know the doctors I think, and you
0: know, the, the it makes it sound like the entire problem is merely ethical it's just a question of people becoming better ethical agents as opposed to I mean, if it's entirely an ethical problem it's great news i would imagine it's a question of all of us just becoming smarter and becoming do you think that's the only problem no
3: that's not the only problem uh, See, when I say you know,
0: and there may not be any problems, so we don't have to go around looking for problems if there yeah, aren't. That's any, right. so that's, that's yeah, yeah, that's right. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. Yes. What is the future, Susie? What's the well, future I of the clinic? Cl- What's the future of the hospital? What's, What's the, future the future of the What's the future of the
1: clinic? I feel very strongly unlike that the answers that we have today, we all know the answers. You should eat well. You should exercise. You should do sure. this. You should do the other thing. That these are answers within the system. But the problem, the rot is in the system itself. Mm-hmm. And that the dissatisfactions with the system will now begin to grow. Be- a lot of people know that you if you go to a hospital you're going to come back as he said, impoverished, and yeah. you're not necessarily going to come back feeling any better, so much so that a friend of mine la two two months ago uh, who is actually a physician in a very important hospital had this back ache mm-hmm. and he did not go and see a doctor about it because he felt that he would then get siphoned off into a whole uh, Mm.
0: array, of, array of, of
1: tests and processes and so on and that he was going to find his own way of dealing with that backache like you found your own way of dealing with your uh, head headache and so on so i think doctors themselves are beginning to get critical of the situation they're in patients are beginning to get critical there is a whole uh, nations are finding that they cannot afford this kind of health care sweden all the european nations are staggering under the healthcare care bill uh, America's yes. fight there's so many there's so many cross issues that are suggesting to us that there will be much more critical uh, uh response it to feels the feels
0: like the solution lies with the patient and not with the system and the doctors.
1: No, the doctors. doctors are also very unhappy. Look at him. He's yeah. constantly saying that yes, the course. system is not is doing things wrong. There are wrong things that are happening. Right things are also happening, but he says many times that wrong things are happening. Okay. Yeah. And I would say that I would want very much that other systems like yoga, Ayurveda and here I, I differ from both of you, that they that their difference should be emphasized. Mm-hmm. That we should explore their spaces for their systemicity, mm-hmm. uh, as against reducing what they are to the dominant system. Just reading it in terms of the dominant system. So yeah. I would want to to look for how they're different. What what other thing are they doing? What uh, in what way would they help us think about health or or healing differently? Uh, so those would be the dimensions in which it happens. Uh, And I think there's enough critical thinking taking place. I don't think that there's a lot of us whose criticism is still restricted to the small world of belief. You know, it's It's like being a believer and then being critical of the church a little bit here or there or the other or being a non-believer. That would be a a completely different. Is uh, it
0: possible to be a non-believer of the current industrial medical system? and And live, continue to live on
1: well, you know, you're asking a very, very astute question because I think we're all so much within it, yeah. that it's not a question of belief. It's a question of the practices that we are all involved in. Uh, yeah. uh, but there's there are two ways in which you can think of change. One is that you think of change as shifting a revolutionary change. You throw away one system and you move into another system. There's another way you think of change, that change happens in a kind of indeterminate movements that take place with another kind of fuzzy logic uh, all over the place. And we cannot predict... In a revolution, you can predict what is going to happen.
0: After they've happened.
1: Yeah, after the... you know. But here, we don't know what's coming, but we start with the critique. So I'm very... I, I like to be hopeful about the critique. And I think all of us practice... I mean, I can hear all of us are practicing it in some way. Even That may not be what people are saying uh, uh, in terms of the logic of their statements. But if you look at the substance of their statements, all of us are, everyone in this room seems critical in some way. That's very
0: interesting. Thank you. Thank you to all of you for making it. And we look forward to having you soon again. Really appreciate your coming. Take care.